October 10th, 2010, First Church and Parish in Dedham, the Reverend Raleigh Weaver, all creatures great and small. The other day I went to the store and I bought a box of animal crackers. I haven't had animal crackers since I was a child. And something about this upcoming pet blessing made the brightly colored Barnum and Bailey box quite attractive to me. And then the prophetic jukebox in my head started singing that old Shirley Temple melody. You know, animal crackers in my soup, monkeys and rabbits loop the loop. Gosh, oh gee, but I have fun swallowing animals one by one. In every bowl of soup I see lions and tigers watching me. I make them jump right through a hoop, those animal crackers in my soup. For as long as mankind has inhabited the earth, animals have been an important part of our lives. They provide companionship, as suggested in the Genesis passage, and entertainment and food, as suggested by the Shirley Temple song. I would like to suggest on this Pet Blessing Sunday that we have a bit more conflicted relationship with the furrier, finned, and feathered members of our earthly family than most of us are willing to admit. We come together today to recognize our most privileged pets, but even if you don't have any kind of pet at all, you are still surrounded by animals and birds and insects in the natural world in every moment of your lives. Just raise your hand if you've ever had mice living in your house, or if you've had ants, or how about flies? Who has ever seen a snake or how many of you have a bird feeder? Who is on a first name basis with a robin or a blue jay or a blackbird? How many of you have been to the Franklin Park Zoo? How about the Boston Aquarium? Or visited a farm this summer that had farm animals on it? There are countless ways we encounter the natural world, but a big part of our inter action with nature is through our interactions with other species. I think most of us have mixed feelings about some, if not all, of the animals we encounter in our lives. Shirley Temple sung about that too, which probably is why most children's musicians today haven't re-recorded this entire melody. Because the next part goes, when I get a hold of the big bad wolf, I just push him under to drown. Then I bite him in a million bits and I gobble him right down. When they're inside me where it's dark, I walk around like Noah's Ark. I stuff my tummy like a goop with animal crackers in my soup. There is something a bit uncomfortable about seeing something that we eat as living and breathing. Personally, I was offended by those old raisin commercials that gave them faces and taught them to dance. Or why did they have to put smiley faces on goldfish crackers? Animating our food somehow makes it more inviting to some, and those lyrics 
When I get a hold of the big bad wolf, I just push him under to drown. Then I bite him in a million bits and I gobble him right down. Even when they are sung by a cute little girl, seem violent and aggressive. A few years ago at the Unitarian Universalist General Assembly, when they began discussing our principles and purposes, a woman stood up and suggested changing our first principle from we affirm and promote the inherent worth and dignity of every person to we affirm and promote the inherent worth and dignity of every living thing. As you can imagine, this raised quite a heated debate. Could we say as a collective body that we affirm and promote the inherent worth and dignity of every living thing if we kill mosquitoes? Or what if we want to get rid of the mice that come into our kitchens this time of year to gobble down our family's dry goods? Or how about the pigeons with poor bathroom habits? Or how about the way cows and chickens and fish are treated in commercial farms? Could we say we affirm and promote the inherent worth and dignity and eat beef and chicken that is not free range? Or eat it at all? In earlier times, when people lived closer to nature than we do, they had more respect for animals than we do. Native Americans would give deep thanks over the spirit of the animal that provided food for them. All of the major world religions gave blessings over food before eating. In this day and age, it seems we are much farther from this type of acknowledgement. And I believe that part of the problem is the stories we tell ourselves about our relationship with animals. Cows are dumb. Chickens have no personality. Fish have no feelings. There are a million ways we justify our treatment of animals, and I would like to suggest that we tell ourselves what we tell ourselves about animals dramatically affects the way we treat them. For example, as we near Halloween, we associate black bats with vampires and the devil and dark, scary nights. But in ancient Mayan culture, however, bats were symbols of initiation and rebirth. And in China, bats also represented happiness and a long life. In truth, bats are quite fascinating. Have you ever thought about the fact that bats are the only living mammal that has the capacity to fly, and 70% of bats eat harmful insects, and only 20% eat fruit, and less than 10% of bats eat meat? The story is similar for the endangered rhinoceros. The large, primitive-looking mammal has been on the earth since before human time, but mankind has relentlessly hunted the rhinoceros to the point of near extinction because of a false story about the magical properties of ground rhinoceros horn. Since the year 1970, the world rhino population has declined by 90%, with only five species remaining in the world today, all of which are endangered. Superstitions are often founded in things humans are afraid or don't completely understand. They are the stories we tell to make the relationship different or to explain the unexplained. Think of the Anansi spider stories of West Africa, which teach about human behavior 
or the Br'er Rabbit stories that originated in both Africa and Cherokee cultures and were used by slaves in this country to describe their experience. Every culture and religion has used animal signs and stories, such as when the lion lies down with the lamb, as metaphors for a better life or to make sense of the life we have. In the Victorian era, it was believed, in fact, that a woman could determine who she would marry based on the first bird that she saw on Valentine's morning. For instance, if the first bird she saw on Valentine's Day was a dove, she believed she would marry a good-hearted man. Or if she saw a robin, she believed she would marry a sailor. <laughs> if she saw a blackbird, she believed she would marry a preacher. And if she saw an owl, she would marry a man who would not live long. You get the picture. There are, in fact, countless superstitions that involve animals to predict everything from the weather to out the outcome of business ventures. But the main part of the problem is that we have for too long exalted humans and looked at animals as something lesser. Humans are responsible for living in right relationship with animals. We are res responsible for loving them, appreciating them, listening to them, and learning what they have to teach us. While I do think it will be a very distant day when we are able to say with integrity, we, the members of congregations of the Unitarian Universalist Association, affirm and promote the inherent worth and dignity of every living thing, I believe it is a worthy principle to ponder and imagine. How might I live differently in relationship to the bugs or mice in my house if every little living thing matters to me? How might I eat differently if every living thing matters? As we come together after worship today to recognize and honor our pets, let us remember that our relationship with them is mutual. Animals nurture us with companionship and love and food. They entertain us with their ways, but it is up to us to maintain their habitat and keep them safe. Let us do all that we can to communicate across species and live in right relationship with the animal members of our family.